in a few weeks, just to uh, just to kind of lay out a, a, a little bit of, a, of an arc of where we're going, um, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, the in, encounters with new information uh, that, that God's people uh, have, have come across over the past several thousand years. And then we're going to move toward some stuff that's coming down the way. Uh, that What are some future things that might really uh, be... Uh, faith challenging uh, for us, uh, no different than it was faith challenging to see the the Assyrian army show up at the at the uh, at the city door. Um, uh, there 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 are some things coming down the road, some of which we can might could predict, and some of which we don't have any idea. Um, so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, you know, uh, miracles and and what do we do with that? Um, and so that'll be a an interesting conversation, and, and spoiler alert, I don't have the answers for that, but I'm fascinated by the discussion of, about it, um, because I think it's, I think it's a helpful, helpful thing for us to, to talk about, and if we can't talk about it in here, where, where, where can we? Um, uh, Keegan Smith will be uh, uh, teaching some on, on, he'll be explaining all of medicine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 15 minutes on that. Um, Michael Redding is not in here, but he's gonna he's gonna help out with some of the things that are coming down the pipe with us too. So uh, it, it should be uh, should be exciting. I'll say again, if there are topics or things that you want to want to talk about, um, shoot me a shoot me a note or just catch me after class and, and we'll uh, uh, we'll go for it or we'll do our best anyway. Um, all right. So I, I like to start off class with just things that I have seen this week uh, that, uh, that I thought were just interesting from a science standpoint, science and faith standpoint. Um, so uh, this, you know, there's, there's a lot of stars out there, but this is Betelgeuse. Um, and scientists are wondering, it's a red supergiant, uh, which means it's, uh, it's about ready to go to the retirement home uh, of stars. And, and they, they think that it's going to go supernova at some point in the next 100,000 years. So just a few shopping days left for you. Um, but uh, our, our telescopes are strong enough now that we can actually see that it's, uh, it's doing uh, dimming. It, it's getting more dim, dimmer, it's getting dimmer. Uh, and they don't know exactly why. And they think it's just kind of acting funny. So that's a picture from uh, from early in January 2019, and that's a picture of, uh, of later in, in uh, December of 2019. And they're wondering, is this a, is this a foreshadowing of it, it's going to explode? They don't know. But I just think that that's, that's it. If it does, it'll be something that we could see in daylight uh, uh, up, in the, up, in the, up in the sky. Uh, if you know where Orion is, uh, Betelgeuse is the red star that's his... Is it his, anyway, it's one of his shoulders. It's the red one that's one of his shoulders. Um, so speaking of telescopes and, and looking up at the stars, I saw, I was reading an article. Uh, uh, the, these are the actual sketches that Galileo made when he took his telescope uh, and he looked at the moon. Um, and, uh, and I thought that was really interesting to see. First of all, he, he, can, he can draw one. <coughs> draw quite well. Um, I just thought that was really interesting to see the actual sketches that he made. Um, 
And you know, he, he didn't invent the telescope. He just had the idea of instead of just looking horizontally, maybe we could look at some interesting things vertically too. Um, and, and so that's, uh, that, that's an interesting side, side note of that. Yesterday was uh, Galileo's birthday, um, uh, which, is, which is where this article came from. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't follow Galileo on Twitter, um, but I saw that, that uh, if you know what, what, what it means when I say so-and-so was trending on Twitter, yesterday for a while Galileo was trending on Twitter that there were enough nerds out there like me just tweeting out happy birthday Galileo. But Galileo uh, uh, wound up being uh, right there in the midst of like, uh, 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 like LeBron James and, uh, and then Bill Barr and other other people who are in the news this week, and there's Galileo right in the middle of people who are trending. And uh, so somebody uh, somebody tweeted out, "I saw Galileo trending. I feared he died, but I found out it's only his birthday." So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. It's also funny that the person who tweeted that ad out his Twitter name is Billy McWeaselpoo. <laughs> there, there won't be too many other classes here on the Creek where we have references to Billy McWeaselpoo. At least I hope that's the case. Um, so, you know, in a lot of our discussions, Galileo is kind of the poster child of faith and science and uh, of, of, a, of a tension that, that comes up when, when somebody has the audacity to say, Maybe the Earth goes around the Sun instead of the other way around. Uh, that wasn't well received if you had 1,600 years of dogma saying otherwise. I saw this, and, and a lot of times when I see a, an article that's something similar to our science, our scientists biased against Christians, I think, oh well, this is either uh, a, a, a a really really whacked out. Uh, view from this end or from that end. It's either people saying, of course they are, we're the most persecuted group on the planet, or it's uh, scientists saying, of course we don't, we're scientists, we look at everything objectively. Um, and so I, I, uh, I thought, don't click on the link, don't, don't read it, all you're going to do is get mad. So naturally I clicked on the link <laughs> to read it. And uh, it was actually a really interesting study that was done here over the past few months. Um, are scientists biased against Christians? Uh, and this is one of those things that, like, if, if somebody sees this slide, they're going to go, "What does that guy teach in your class?" Are science, uh, so more than half. All right. I, I, my theory is is that most scientific studies are the result of academics sitting around at the cafeteria saying, "Hey, uh, do you think this is true, or do you think that is true? I don't know if that's true. Let's devise an experiment and find out if that's true or not." And then they go back to arguing about whether Kylo Ren's lightsaber color was really uh, telling us something else. But, but I think most science these days uh, develops around around that. Maybe that's always been the case. Maybe that goes back to the uh, back to the Greek days too, where uh, where uh, geeky Greeks got around and talked about that. I said let's do let's do an experiment. So they did an experiment. Somebody evidently said, "Did you see that study where?" More than half of all students surveyed indicated that discrimination against Christians is a problem in science. And 35% of students even said it's not, not uncommon for scientists to discriminate against Christians. Um, and when we looked at it, when we drilled down on the numbers, it was both religiously affiliated 
students who said that scientists discriminated against Christians, and it was non-religiously affiliated students who said scientists discriminated against Christians. And, and, uh, and, and so the discussion went, well, that's their perception that they are perceiving the scientists. So let's devise an experiment to see if scientists are in truly, um, uh, truly biased against Christians. So what they did in true science fashion, they, they did an experiment, a blind experiment. And I thought it was a fascinating thing for them to do. Um, I, I, I don't have a PhD, several people in here uh, do and, and know that world. But to, to get a PhD, you apply uh, to be in a PhD program, and a professor or a series of professors say, yes, you, are, you have the qualifications to be in this program. So what these, I think they were all grad students already, what they did, they fabricated three people. They fabricated three, uh, three people who had almost identical qualifications. Um, and they just kind of slipped them in amongst 300 other applicants into this graduate program. Um, and so the, the professors who were reading the applicants, they had to rate them. Uh, I don't know if it was a rating of 1 to 10 or 1 to 7. I, I don't know what it was. But they had to rate the students based off of whether or not that, just looking on paper, would this be a good student to, to be in our PhD program? So the three students, one of them was the president of the uh, Christian Association at the school. Another one was president of the Atheist Association at the school. And one of them was what they call president of the Activities Association. I don't know if that's intramural <laughs> sports or, but, but they're somebody who's busy doing other things otherwise. And what they came up with is that uh, uh, based off of hireability, competence, and likability, I, I guess that's how they were, they were rating those students to come into the PhD program, there really wasn't a big, blind, statistically significant difference between them. Particularly if you look at what's called confidence intervals, like how much confidence do you have in the data. Um, by the way, I, here in a few weeks, I want to talk about confidence intervals because that's a we don't, we don't, we're really scared to talk about confidence intervals in, in, a, in a spiritual setting. Um, but I want to talk about confidence intervals because it's really an interesting way to, uh, to, to look at things. Um, but you didn't come up, so if this was all that was done, you would say, oh, okay, well see, scientists are not biased against Christians. So, uh, they did a little bit more. And then they, they, they sent to a different set uh, instead of saying that they were president of the Atheist Association or president of the Christian Association or the Student Government Association or whatever the case was, they gave them their number one activity that they had done. They're the thing that they were most proud of on their resume. One of them, one of the, one of the students who was applying, one of these fake students, uh, was a, uh, was a uh, had been on a trip with Campus Crusade for Christ. Another one had been on a trip uh, with UNICEF. So two, two very different organizations, and, and, and I can have a discussion about, I think, both, both doing very good things. But one of them is, is very, very much spiritually based, and one of them is very, very much not. And I thought it was fascinating that just based off of that difference alone, 
you wound up with the UNICEF student being much more hireable than the Campus Crusade for Christ student. Um, that, that, is, that is interesting. It's just, it's just interesting to me about that. And so the conclusion that they came to was there is a perception of bias against Christians in academic science. But that bias only seems to manifest against sects of Christianity seen as more dogmatic and fundamentalist. If we're to improve biology, these were biology professors, if we're, if we're to improve biology education for Christian undergraduate science students, as well as increase positive perceptions of scientists, we recommend that scientists work to mitigate perceived bias against Christians in science, the researchers, researchers uh, recommend. So I thought, there was, I thought that was an interesting conclusion to theirs. Well, it wasn't, their conclusion wasn't, therefore, if you want to get into science, stay away from Campus Crusade for Christ. Their conclusion was, we need to work on the perception that these people, that, that these two groups have for each other. Um, yeah? Would seem to me that another good question would be, are scientists more biased against many different things. Than, than, now, for example, uh, uh, theoretical scientists sometimes don't like engineers. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. <laughs> I'm an engineer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had people say, you're not a scientist, you're an engineer. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. That's but do they, are they no, biased against heard. a wide variety of things? Therefore, that would kind of make <coughs> Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a million different other, other things to, to look at. But I think we, we, we've all heard, we, we've all wondered this, you know, is there a bias against Christians? And, and, and one study done by a group of researchers slash... Could that? It, it, well... Are Christians biased against science? Well, now how, 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 would, how would you devise that study? I don't have a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfectly legitimate question. Are Christians biased against science? I think, I think the I think the answer. If you flip faith and science, are Christians and science here? If you just reversed it, I think it would. I think it would be Christians are biased against some fundamentalist sects of science, right? right? And maybe there's a good reason for that. Right? Um, I'm going to end with a quote today um, about from somebody. Uh, who has been uh, deemed anti-science, but gives a fantastic sermon of how to look at this world and how to be nervous about fundamentalist sects of science out there. Um, so anyway, there's that. Uh, the other thing, oh, wonder if that's not working because I left it in the rain. Um, the... Uh, and why this wound up in the rain is a different discussion altogether. Uh, it was Valentine's Day this week. Um, so what better way to talk about Valentine's Day than to reference a massacre? <laughs> uh, in 1349, the residents of Cherbourg, uh, Germany, I think it was actually the Kingdom of Alsace at the time, but uh, the residents of Cherbourg uh, were in the midst of the bubonic plague. Uh, uh, the bubonic plague in Europe killed somewhere between one-third and two-thirds of the entire population. So when you talk about um, faith-shattering, sh faith faith-shaking events, if there was a similar plague that wiped out um, three and a half to four billion human beings in the span of a few years, 
we would have some we would have some faith struggles with that. If there was a similar uh, United States-specific plague that wiped out 150, 175 million of us in the span of a couple of years, we would have a faith-shattering uh, 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 thing to reconcile, and it would be very, very hard for us to do. Um, well, that's that's the world that they were living in in Cherbourg, and uh, their conclusion was, it's the Jews' fault, right? It's the Jews' fault. Um, so uh, to to protect us, um, let's let's get rid of the Jews here in Cherbourg. So in in one night, on Valentine's Day night, wasn't Valentine's Day back then, but uh, on February the fourteenth of thirteen forty nine. The Christian residents of Cherbourg burned 2,000 Jews to protect themselves. Um, and they call it the, 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 the original Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, and, I, and, I, and I bring that up. Uh, the, we are really, I think, biased against uh, other civilizations about the way that they treated each other uh, in, in some cases. Completely and totally wrong. Uh, lo loving your neighbor, definitely rolled into loving your neighbor is, is sort of, you could imply, don't kill them, right? Don't, don't cannibalize them. These are, these are parts of loving your neighbor. Um, but there, there is a, 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 there are Every civilization, every people on the planet, when they, I don't think we should judge them based off of when they are the most stressed. You shouldn't be judged by your worst day. I shouldn't be judged by my worst day. The citizens of Cherbourg did something historically awful, but I don't think that we need to whitewash and say everybody in that part of the world from the 1300s was a terrible person. Now, that also means I don't think that we should whitewash and say everybody in the New World because they did some terrible things uh, in the third, probably in the year 1349 as well was a terrible person. I don't think that we should say everybody in China uh, in the in, in the 1420s when they had a civil war that that probably wiped out a few hundred million people. I don't think we should say that they're all terrible people. I think we should just say. Somewhere, somehow, along the way, we are all images of God, and we have all screwed up. We have all screwed up majorly. Um, and my view is, is that that as a parent, God, God's heart breaks every time something like that happens. Any time that our reaction to a stressor of our world changing. Uh, react to a stressor of, of uh, mortality or our civilization possibly ending, that we take it out on our brother. Um, the message of Jesus is, um, is don't do that. Don't, don't turn your anger sideways uh, against each other. And I think that that's, I think that that's a recurring theme uh, throughout the Bible. And, and so... <clears throat> We kind of ended uh, here uh, last week, and I wanted I wanted to do something because um, sometimes when you uh, when you prepare something for class that you, you kind of want to just do it because you prepared for it. Um, 
The next, the next five minutes or so is stuff that I wanted to do three weeks ago and never got to. Um, and I, I, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. But I, here, here's my premise. Here's my premise. And, and, and you, we can have a discussion about it. The, the, the Bible is not intended to be a science book. It's not intended to tell us the scientific achievements of a certain people, and it's not in, intended to tell us the scientific shortcomings of another certain people. But it seems to me, if you tell the story of the children of Israel, their story basically consists of being conquered by every large civilization in the, in the Middle East, in the ancient world. Every major player in the world stage, at one time or another, conquered Israel. Um, and, and part of that is just geographic, is that they're at the crossroads of three continents. They're at the crossroads of three continents. So if, if, you're, if you're Egypt and you have problems with Persia, well, the Israelites are in the way. If you're uh, Rome and you're nervous about what uh, people in Egypt are doing, the Israelites are in the way. Um, and so part of it is just by virtue of being at a crossroads of, of, of the three um, uh, huge continents that, that it is. Um, and each step along the way, they encountered new information. They, they as a people, as, as slaves or as exiles, they encountered new things. And they, they wrote them down. They wrote it down from their perspective. Um, and it's fascinating when you, when you look at it just strictly... Uh, just strictly from the vantage point of what did what what did the Israelites see? So I, I'm gonna this gets really busy really quick because it, the the next few slides are gonna wind up looking like this. Um, so I apologize for that, but that was the best way I could do it because I'm just not a graphics person. Um, so I asked last week what what were times that the that the Israelites encountered new information. Uh, somebody said Abraham. Abraham did encounter new information. Um, he he was from Ur, according to the Genesis account, uh, which is somewhere over here in what we call now the Fertile Crescent. Um, and uh, and he encountered new information in the in the Fertile Crescent. I know you like it there, but pack up and go somewhere else. I've got another place for you to be. So he did. Then. Uh, then they wound up, the Israelites wound up in Egypt, down here. Uh, Joseph, somebody else mentioned that Joseph uh, was, was somebody uh, who encountered new things, and he did. Um, for a few hundred years, they were, they were in Egypt, and they saw, uh, they saw pyramids, and, uh, and they, they saw uh, grain storage and, um, uh, and, and things like that. So, uh, and they saw what, what, what pharaohs and kings looked like. So they go back to Israel after the Exodus, and they spend a few hundred years in Israel. Uh, 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 and they say, for a while, we want a king. Why do you want a king? Because all the cool countries have a king. You sure you want a king? Okay, I'll give you a king. See, I told you, kings aren't so good. Um, and that's the story of kings. And, and, uh, and uh, they're not all what you think they are. <coughs> And uh, things deteriorated, as uh, political situations often do. Uh, kingdoms split in half, as kingdoms often do. Uh, and invaders to the north uh, invade, as invaders often do. 
So the Assyrians show up in 722 BC, and they show up with chariots, and they show up with catapults, and all sorts of other things, uh, with the science of the day that's coming from the uh, from the east and the, and the northeast. Um, so they captured the northern kingdom, and half of the minor prophets are talking about that, and then they weaken the southern kingdom, and the other half of the minor prophets are talking about that. Um, and uh, and they say, who can protect us? Who can protect us? What what is going to happen? Um, we, we, we are seeing that we are uh, in a way different place than these giant kingdoms of, of uh, Assyria and Babylon and Persia uh, who are knocking on our door until um, Babylon shows up and they get exiled to Babylon and they, they see some, uh, they see some uh, astronomy there and some hanging gardens uh, and and all these promises that have been made of Jerusalem is going to be there forever. Jerusalem's going to be there forever, and then all of a sudden Jerusalem's not there anymore. Um, and it gets, it gets defeated. Uh, and you have lamentations of, oh my goodness, what, how do I, we are God's chosen people, how did what just happened happen? Um, and then, uh, then they go, uh, they, they, the, the Babylonians, through a series of Intermarriages and wars uh, uh, kind of sort of become the Persians, uh, and the and the Israelites are uh, spending some time there in Persia, uh, and, uh, and you have Daniel uh, and uh, and Ezekiel uh, doing some uh, doing some uh, prophecies and some work during that time, and and all of God's people they say I just want to go home. I just I've heard I've read about the. Uh, uh, what what things were like back in the what was the promised land? Uh, just want to go home, and so they get to they get to go home, and they live happily ever after. No, they don't live happily ever after um, uh, because. And then this is where I think it gets really interesting, is that in most of our Bibles there's a single blank page of this this page intentionally left blank between Malachi and Matthew, right? Well, that's 450 years of this page intentionally left blank, um, and we don't, and from a Bible standpoint, we don't really know what's going on during that amount of time, during that period of time, the the, the time between the testaments. Um, so, uh, so in church, we just kind of ignore those four and a half centuries, and then we kind of go back to I remember like the old world history that I took in uh, that I took in high school, and there were people like Alexander the Great running around. Conquering, conquering the world. There were, there were scientists like Democritus saying, you know what? I think everything may be made of a little thing called atoms. I don't know what they are, but I'm going to say that there's such thing as atom. There was a guy named Eratosthenes who calculated the circumference of the Earth to within a fraction of a percent of correct, just by measuring shadows during, during a solstice. Um, uh, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and then you know we have the we try to tell ourselves that Columbus or maybe Magellan proved that the Earth was round. Well, they were they were figuring their circumference of the Earth uh, uh, almost two centuries before, to two millennia before we started sailing around like that. Um, I, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. And then you start doing the math of like there's this there's this math out there that the circumference of the Earth is almost twenty five thousand miles. And, and here, us, the Israelites, we're living at the peak of our, uh, at the peak of our kingdom, 
we're about the size of New Jersey, you think, there's a lot of this earth that ain't me. There's a lot of this earth that is somebody else, somewhere else, something else. Um, and they're learning all this. They're, they're hearing all this. Um, and then we, we forget, oh, oh, uh, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he, was, he was Greek. You know, he wrote, he wrote as a Greek person. He was trained by a Greek person. He read Socrates. He read Plato. He was, he was classically trained to weave arguments and have discussions the same way that the great Greek philosophers were. And I think that is amazing. I think that is amazing. I think it's providential. Um, and see, we're, we've gotten really busy here on the, on the screen. But then, then Rome shows up. Uh, they kind of they become better Greeks than the Greeks were. Uh, and, uh, and the Romans enter the scene. And then the New Testament, they're under the, uh, they're, they're under the rule of Rome. Uh, and, you know, during this time, uh, the Romans were building roads and aqueducts and theaters and, and having all kinds of amazing architecture. Mound builders were building stuff in America. Mayans had a leap year on their calendar 15, 1,500 years before the Europeans did. Um, so they, they were they were uh, they were better astronomers than uh, than the smart guys in uh, in Europe. Uh, and the Messiah shows up, and the Messiah wasn't what they were expecting. Um, you know, we're we're under the rule of the most powerful, uh, most powerful empire that we've ever read about. In 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 all of our history, the, the Assyrians were nothing compared to these Romans. The Egyptians, that you know, they they they're they're nothing compared to these Romans. Um, but we're gonna have a Messiah that's gonna deliver us. But it wasn't what they were expecting. Um, the, the Messiah. Uh, uh, was uh, uh, was a different sort of deliverance than what people were, were saying there. Any one of these slides that I trail off uh, could be a class or a series of classes all by itself. And I hesitate to even bring them, to, to show them like that, because all y'all are sitting there going, I wish you would elaborate. What do you mean by that? That's what that, I just, that, it, my whole point to, to running through that, um, co covering that, and covering those 2,000 years, is to just say, the story of the Bible is the story of God's people meeting new, being met by uh, very new, very different civilizations. And with that becomes, comes very new, very different technologies. And with that comes very new and very different things to use and be afraid of. So with that, in the 2,000 years since then, we... God's people, um, oh yeah, I did that. We'll be spending next week on that. That was three weeks ago, so I'm going to skip that. We, God's people, have encountered new information over the past 2,000 years. Um, uh, sometimes that new, some, 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 that new information could be something as simple as, you know what, the continents are moving around. This stuff that you think is the most permanent, the ground under my feet, the firm foundation, the solid rock, it's actually moving around, floating around on magma. Um, it's not as, uh, not, not only is the, the ground that we walk on not as permanent as we think, but when we have an earthquake, it's not 
just, it's not that, that such and such a, a, a deity is mad at us. It's because of friction and because you've got these gigantic plates rubbing against each other and they slip sometimes. That's new information. New information uh, starting with Galileo and then getting bigger and bigger and bigger since then. Um, when Galileo was looking out at the heavens, uh, the, the earth uh, got a lot smaller when he did that. And we've been getting smaller and smaller and smaller ever since then, back to being a pale blue dot that we are. When we found out that there is a code within us, within all living things, within fruit flies and bananas and human beings, um, that replicates and doesn't maybe determine everything about us, but certainly influences many things about us, uh, that's new information. That's, that's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, when we have signs up that say this sign has sharp edges, caution, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I have no idea why somebody would put a sign up on this. Do not touch the edges of the sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead. <laughs> I am fascinated by the fact that people would do something like that. Um, uh, so, from, from the standpoint of, of, of things things that are in the context of what we're talking about, the things that are fascinating to you, good, bad, indifferent, embarrassing, challenging, triumphant, what are some times that y'all can think of over the past couple of thousand years where the stuff we learn at church has come head on with the stuff that we are discovering? Who's brave enough to say, here's, here's one. I would say the concept of evolution concept of evolution, um, which when it was first introduced, um, it was either ignored or downplayed, but then it got to a point where it's like, oh, I feel like we either need to say it is or it ain't, you know? Okay, you, you, you scientists, you go make your own story, but then, uh, then the concept of evolution evolves or devolves, uh, the, the discussion devolves and uh, you wind up with a Scopes Monkey trial here in Tennessee. Right? I, I've been informed also that not uh, everybody who was religious prior to uh, Darwin uh, took the six days of creation to be literal. Yeah. For example, Augustine. Yeah, Augustine, it wasn't a problem for him. the conflict became because uh, some religious people said it has to be literal. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and Fletcher, if you don't mind teaching class next week and just telling us what's literal and what's figurative. Um, I've got it all. I'll get you a brand new <laughs> um, Yeah, and, and that's what, that, that is one of those, of, uh, hey, it, it's either all true or none of it's true. Well, okay, be careful about, be careful about statements like that. So, yeah. Um, I the advancements in fertility treatments. Oh, wow. I, I can see that being a very big, if God is the only one who can make things, make people, how can you be making a person? Or starting a person? Yeah, if you really want to have, have, have some, some just icky thought exercises, and I'm going to ask Micah Redding to, to, to explain all this to us here in a few weeks. But, um, we believe that I, I believe I have rights because I am a human being endowed by my Creator. 
I, I think I can read that in the Bible, and I think I can read that in the Constitution, or the Declaration by the Creator. Is that in the Declaration of Independence? One of, one of those two. Um, I, I, I believe that I am endowed, I have rights because I'm endowed by my Creator. I was made, uh, uh, and uh, I was made in the image of God. Uh, now, fertility treatments is, is, is one, uh, and I think that we, we, I think we would all say, um, if, if there is a human being that is created through fertility treatments, that's a human being, right? That is a human being. But we're not far away from me being able to be cloned, okay? We're not that far away from it. So does Kevin too, does Kevin too, who was made in a lab, does Kevin too have the exact same rights as me? I want to say yes, but buddy, if I need a liver, <laughs> I've got one right here. And I'll just make another Kevin too later, right? Okay, so now it's getting really kind of, kind of creepy. I think we're a little bit further from this, but I think we can see it happening. If, if I download my brain into a computer and then <coughs> all of my emotions and all of my memories and that gets uploaded into somebody else, Commander Data, right? Um, do, is that me? Does that thing, person, Android, C3PO have the same rights? Like, so yet there are there are there are uh, discussions coming down the pipe that are going to make evolution sound like kid stuff, right? It's gonna it's gonna be very very. Uh, we're gonna forget that that was ever an issue. Maybe one or two more, and then we'll close out. A uh, different culture's view of morality. Mm. Different culture's view of morality. Um, and the Europeans desire to impose their view on everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 there's there's different. Uh, yeah, I think that there are things, there are universal things uh, that 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 you'll find everywhere. Um, the 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 European view. Because it became the view, because it because it became the they were the ones who conquered and not the ones who got conquered. Um, uh, I think that's an interesting discussion. You know, did they do it because they were more moral? I can make that argument. Did they do it despite being less moral? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know if that's true. I know that they. I know that it happened with incredible imperfections that were being brought along the way. Um, and if you read some of the writings of Columbus, um, it's just horrible. Um, if, if you read the writings of the people who went around the globe with Magellan, they got back and the first thing they said was, we've got to go talk to the Pope because our calendar is a day off from y'all. You know? we, didn't, we didn't lose track of days. We're navigators. That's important to us. But uh, uh, Pope, you've got to stop saying some of the things you're saying because we can prove with our calendar that... We went around, we don't know what an international dateline is, but we're one day off from you, and we've got some things to think about. Um, so it's, uh, it, yes, I, I, I love those sorts of conversations. Um, so we're going to talk a lot more about some of those next week. I'm going to read this. Um, Science is a magnificent force, but it's not a teacher of morals. It can perfect machinery, 
but it adds no moral restraints to protect society from the misuse of the machine. It can also build gigantic intellectual ships, but it constructs no moral rudders for the control of <coughs> storm-tossed human vessels. It not only fails to supply the spiritual element needed, but some of its unproven hypotheses rob the ship of its compass and thus endanger its cargo. In war, science <coughs> has proven itself an evil genius. It has made war more terrible than it ever was before. Man used to be content to slaughter his fellow men on a single plane, the Earth's surface. Science has taught him to go down into the water and shoot up from below, and go up into the clouds and shoot down from above, thus making the battlefield three times as bloody as it was before. But science does not teach brotherly love. Science has made war so hellish that civilization was about to commit suicide. And now we are told that newly discovered instruments of destruction will make the cruelties of the late war seem trivial in comparison with the cruelties of wars that may come in the future. If civilization is to be saved from the wreckage threatened by intelligence not consecrated by love, it must be saved by the moral code of the meek and lowly Nazarene. His teachings and his teachings alone can solve the problems that vex the heart and perplex the world. Beautiful, beautiful prophetic words by William Jennings Bryan in the closing arguments of the Scopes Monkey Trial. Um, and this is where the, the grad students sitting around the table talking about whether scientists are biased against Christians. Um, we need more Christians saying that. We need more Christians saying that. That the teachings of the lowly Nazarene is the rudder for the ship that's going to keep us as a people from committing suicide, civilization suicide. Um, that is why I believe so strongly that uh, we cannot withdraw from these conversations about science and faith and just crawl into a hole. Because we need to be saying things like that when people are cloning people. We need to be saying things like that when people are developing biological weapons. We need to be saying things like that when people are developing uh, nuclear bombs that are much more efficient uh, than the ones that we have right now. Um, that's, that's where we have got to insert ourselves as Jesus people. Um, and if the, story, if the story of the Israelites can teach us anything, it's that we have got to speak wisdom into the superpowers that have the potential to destroy civilizations. Incidentally enough, we're the superpower now. We're Egypt. We're Persia. We're Rome. We're Greece. We're the next little green arrow that I had on that giant map. Uh, that's us now. So if y'all could solve that between now and next week, that would be wonderful. Uh, but anyway, thanks for coming.